pray with us? Father, we thank you so much for the privilege of worship. Thank you for the Tallowood family for such wonderful worship music. And we yield this preaching moment to you. Ask that you would speak to us, speak to our hearts. And as you speak, give us ears of a disciple that we will hear and we will heed. Then take us down from this place as we trust to be found a little closer to you and perhaps a little more like you. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. God be praised. And we bless the Lord. You doing pretty good today? That's good. That's good. I'm glad you're well. I'm doing pretty good myself. This is my last time here, and then I have another afternoon engagement on the other side of town, and I'll have to preach a little, put a little less cream in my coffee. (laughs) Amen. They keep telling me, they keep telling me to give y'all some of my strong coffee, but I don't think y'all ready for the the strong coffee. I'm going to have to put a little cream in the coffee. Uh, I think your pastor told you that I had a stroke back in January. And on the 18th of January, that Sunday, I was in the pulpit trying to preach and started slurring. So they rushed me to the emergency room. And we have concluded that I was blessed with a stroke. No symptoms. I'm doing pretty good. So thank the Lord for for that blessing. My wife is with us this morning and I'm glad to have her. I shouldn't have told you where she was just in case you saying something smart. Somebody might have gave you the right hand of fellowship or something. <laughs> Let's open our Bibles to the 90th number of Psalms. I'd like to read verses 1 and 2. I think he has us to stand, doesn't he, when we read the Word together. So let's stand and read Psalms 90. Verses 1 and 2, and we'll be on our way to get some lunch. (laughs) Lord, you've been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You may be seated. Thank you. Think with me for a moment on the thought, is God past his sell-by date? Is God past his sell-by date? Usually grocery stores and stores in general on various products stamp them with a date that says best if sold by such and such a date or if used by such and such a date. They the item is usually useful for a limited period of time and then it's no longer wanted, useful, and perhaps not even sold. In a very real sense, that's what society wants to say about God and about Christianity, that we're in a post-Christian world and that God is no longer viable, God is no longer needed. Some would say God is even dead, but they don't show us where his grave is. They want to convince us, the world does, that everything is changing, that the Bible is old and no longer relevant, and that you 
can be wrong about everything else, but not about God. The most important thing you will ever think about is what you think about when you think about God. We got to get this right. We can't afford to trade him in. Just because something is old doesn't make it obsolete. Water is old, air is old, sunlight is old, the earth is old. Old does not necessarily mean obsolete. And when we think about the reality of God and the existence of God, especially he who was revealed to us in Jesus Christ, we have to accept the fact that he is just as much God today as he ever has been. And so when Moses is dealing with the children of Israel on that trek, on that journey out of Egypt toward the promised land and when they reject, you remember at Carnia, they, they reject going into the promised land. God says, go, they say no. And so they wander in the wilderness until an entire generation dies. And perhaps somewhere in that story, Moses pins the word of this psalm, this preaching journal, this prayer psalm. After experiencing the Red Sea and all of the provisions of God, he simply says that all will know, Lord, you have been our dwelling place. And I want to submit to you, first of all, that God's very person suggests to us that he's not past his sell-by date. He says, Lord, Adonai, you who represent the majesty of God. He begins this meditation with such a beautiful description of God. You who are eternal, you who are infinite, you who are faithful, you who are completely holy, as in comparison to man who is finite, fickle, and unfaithful. You who are forever have been our source and have been our strength. You are God of all majesty. Moses begins talking about God by speaking of the foreverness of God. I thought about that. How long is forever? I don't know, but I don't want to be on the wrong side of it. He contrasts God's eternalness with man's finiteness. And throughout the psalm, he uses various descriptions of humankind to, to, to create this this, dra- this, this vast contrast between God and man. He, he uses words like dust and grass and limited days, nothing that we could put on God. Man in comparison to God is no comparison. So by his very person, he's not past his sell by date. He's still holy God. By his his protection, God's protection suggests to us that he's not past his cell by date. Moses says, you have been our dwelling place. You have been a protective shelter. You've been sheltering and comforting and protecting us and cherishing your own. The way we made it through this wilderness, Moses says, is because these tents were temporary dwelling places, but you were our eternal refuge. You're our dwelling place. Wouldn't that have been comforting to a people 
who are just coming out of slavery, who are marching to the land of milk and honey, who are vulnerable to the wild lives of, of the barren desert, of the wilderness, and vulnerable to nature itself, but they have God ultimately as their safe place. I think I ought to say that it's not our armies, it's not our military that makes us strong. It's the presence of God. That's the reason we have not perished. It is because of God's protection. And it's God who keeps the city. The watchman waketh in vain. God keeps the city. From generation to generation we read, God is our dwelling place. He's eternal. He's past, present, and future. He's always been and he always will be and he is eternally ours and is an eternal place of refuge and security. He's our protection. By that very fact, he cannot be past his sell by day. He shelters us from the stormy blast of life. God in his person, God in his protection, God in his power. He's eternal. He's forever. He has no expiration date. And Moses tells the Israelites that he is their eternal dwelling place. The everlasting God is our refuge and underneath are the everlasting arms. Don't we sing about it? What a fellowship, what a joy, divine leaning on the everlasting arm. I have, I have a wonderful announcement to make and I hope it revolutionizes your life. This ought to change you forever. This is the best thing I got to say today. God is God and we are not. You can say amen right there. God is God and we are not. He does not change. He cannot change. Anything that he has ever done before at any time, he can still do. He is an unchanging constant and is far from irrelevant. God has not changed and the truth is neither have we. We're just as fickle as we always have been. But our need for God remains constant. He is with us always unless we tend to build barriers to the contrary. So don't fall for the trick of Satan, the, the hand of Satan that would convince you that God is past his sale by date. God is not antique. God is not a legacy of the past. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And throughout Scripture, both Old and New Testament, we could show signs of God's power at the Tower of Babel with Pharaoh and Moses, with Elijah and Mount Calvary. And over and over again, we see God's power on display. But ultimately, we see it with a dead Jesus. Because the greatest problem God ever had was a dead Jesus. And it only lasted for the weekend. He died for us to prove his love and to prove his power. And so the poem says, they borrowed a bed to lay his head when Christ the Lord came down. They borrowed the ass in the mountain pass for him to ride to town. But the crown that he wore, 
and the cross that he bore were his own. He borrowed the bread when the crowd he fed on the grassy mountainside. He borrowed the dish of broken fish with which he satisfied. But the crown that he wore and the cross that he bore were his own. He borrowed the ship in which to sit to teach the multitude. He borrowed the nest in which to rest. He had never a home so rude, but the crown he wore and the cross he bore were his own. He borrowed a room on the way to the tomb, the Passover lamb to eat. They borrowed the cave for him a grave. They borrowed the winding sheet, but the crown that he wore and the cross that he bore wore his own. Though the thorns on his head were worn in my stead, for me the Savior died. For guilt of my sins, the nail they drove in when him they crucified. Though the crown that he wore and the cross that he bore were his own, they were rightly mine. Does Jesus love us? Can Jesus save us? I've decided to follow him and to make him my choice. And if there is one that would choose Jesus, trust that he is not past his cell by date. Great is thy faithfulness. O God, my Father, there is no shadow of turning with Thee. Thou changest not Thy compassions, they fail not. As thou hast been, thou forever wilt be. Summer and winter, in springtime and harvest, sun, moon, and stars in their courses above, join with all nature in manifold witness to thy great Faithfulness, mercy, and love. Pardon for sin and a peace that endureth. Thine own dear presence to cheer and to guide. Strength for today and bright hope. For tomorrow, blessings all mine with ten thousand beside. Great is 
Thy faithfulness, great is thy faithfulness. Morning by morning, new mercies I see. All I have needed, thy hand hath provided. Great is thy faithfulness, Lord, unto me. Great is thy faithfulness. Great is thy faithfulness. Morning by morning, new mercies I see. All I have needed, thy hand hath provided. Great is thy faithfulness. Great is thy faithfulness. Great is thy faithfulness.